Amen, indeed. Thank you, Pastor Scott, for leading us through that this morning and leading us to this place. As we begin this morning, let's open our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, we're going to read this passage together as we uh, dig into the things that God uh, has for us. Hebrews chapter 4. And uh, I'm very glad to be uh, able to read this to you in person today. There was some risk that I was, you were, we were going to be having a virtual sermon or something, or maybe uh, Ed was going to be preaching this morning. Even uh, yesterday, uh, my wife had a little bit of a sore throat, and we weren't sure, but she uh, was able to get a negative COVID test in time, so I didn't have to panic, try to record something, and uh, have that all here for you this morning. But uh, Hebrews chapter 4, as we begin, therefore... And whenever we read a therefore in Scripture, we have to ask what it's there for. And there's a couple of therefores in this passage. So he's building on some ideas here as he's been presenting through the first few chapters. And so be paying attention. And if you're finding, uh, if you have opportunity this week, maybe go back and see why he's thereforeing us right here. Where is he leading us from? But therefore, since the promise of eternity entering, boy, let's start again. That was rough. That was rough. That wasn't great. Let's try again. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words, on the seventh day God rested from all his works. And again, the passage above, he, has, he says, they will never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest... God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is alive and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, 
so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Is there a bigger verse in the Bible that seems almost a ridiculous idea? God is amazing. In the history of religions and philosophies and all around the world, there are none that suggest approaching their gods this way. With confidence. What a wild idea. Is that the kind of relationship that you have with God? Do you feel like you can approach Him with confidence? With boldness, with purpose? Or do you come to God with fear? With hesitance, with feeling like you're a burden, like you're unworthy. And so maybe a lot of the time then you just kind of don't. You avoid him. How do you come to God? This year we've been looking at what it means to walk intimately with God, and we finally have our words back on the wall here. They're there. But we've been trying to understand what it looks like to truly journey closely with him, to follow him, to be with him, to live with him. We looked at the life and the stories of the early church. We looked at the the stories of the people that experienced the birth of Jesus, God coming to be with us. We looked at the stories that Jesus told us about God as he described his Father to us, all trying to understand what it means to walk intimately with him. If we want to be with him, to follow him, we have to know him. We have to understand him. And the things that Jesus described to us help us to see his father like he did. But now as we come to the end of this crazy year, we're asking the question, why? Why can we trust God in this journey? He's inviting us to walk closely with him, but in that he is asking us to give up a lot, to trust him Completely, ultimately, we're giving up everything. We're leaving behind everything we hold on to so dearly to trust Him to take care of us, to provide, to protect. Why should we do that? And I mean, because He's God, of course. Of course, we should trust Him, but we still struggle. It's still. Scary. We're still selfish and fearful, and we want to keep hold of everything. And so we're looking at the promises 
of God that he has given us. He is so gentle. He's so patient. He's so kind. Of course, he's enough, but still, he talks to us and promises us that it's going to be okay. That he will provide. That he's with us. That his words are true. That he will do what he said. And he's proven it over and over and over again. All through the pages of scripture. And even now still today in our lives. Individually and together as a church family. God is faithful to his promises. And he's shown us what that looks like. And his promises are incredible. That he's in control. That we are a new creation. That we are his workmanship. That nothing can separate you from him. That you are one with his spirit. That you are being made holy. And this morning we come to one of the wildest and most uncomfortable promises of all that God has said that we can approach him with confidence. This is a completely foreign concept. It flies against all of our instincts against everything that our world and our culture tells us about what God is. And sure, we can say, well, I'm not worried about what the world thinks about who God is. I believe in the Bible, and I believe his spirit and what he's revealed about himself. But the pictures and ideas and stories that our culture tell us about God have a huge impact on our understanding of who and what he is. And how does our world portray God? Cold, unfeeling, distant, angry, cruel, vindictive, judgmental. Every natural disaster, the question is asked, why would God do this? Every bad thing we see happen, there's at least a tiny part of ourselves that wonders why they're be, what they're being punished for. Every bad thing that happens to us, we wonder how God could treat us so unfairly. It's not a great picture. And it's certainly not found in Scripture. God is love. God is just, and he has brought judgment upon people, but it was never vindictive or cruel. It wasn't unnecessary. It was always with grief and love. Desiring to restore relationship as he watched people and nations drink the poison of selfishness and unfaithfulness and paganism for years and years. He couldn't let them continue in their sin. It was hurting them. He brought consequences and correction, discipline, sometimes in dramatic ways, 
because he loved them. Proverbs 13, whoever spares the rod hates their children. But the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. 2 Chronicles 7, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, I will heal their land. Exodus 20, I, the Lord, am a jealous God, punishing the children for, their sin, for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Luke 13, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who would kill prophets and stone those sent to you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. God is reaching out, desiring to bring healing and restoration, not desiring to hurt. God is love and life. He wants to bring us life. He wants to give us life. The issue is not God's heart, who He is. His nature. It's our sinful nature. Our nature rejects God. Our nature rejects His nature, His holiness, His plan, His mission, His direction, His vision and purpose for us. We stand opposed to Him. And we set before ourselves innumerable calamities as a result. And then, in our pride and selfishness, when God tries to bring correction, we twist His intent, and rather than seeing the darkness in ourselves, we instead imagine God to be the angry, vengeful, cold, hurtful one. We rejected Him, and then we blame Him. Even going so far as to suggest that what He's doing is evil. When we don't like what life looks like. It's not great. It's not what we were created for. It's not what God wants for us to live in fear and isolation. Hiding in the darkness filled with shame and guilt and selfishness and hurt. But our sin has separated us from him. And in that separation, we have distorted the picture of who God is. And even in the church over the centuries, broken churches and selfish leaders have filled people with fear and shame before God in their pursuit of personal power. further pushing God away from us, distorting Him 
into something you wouldn't even want to approach if you could. We are broken. And our understanding of God is broken. And we have to let Him fix it. And what He describes to us What he wants us to understand about who he is, what he desires for us, is incredible. If we'll listen. Most familiar passage in the Bible, John 3.16. For God, the Old Testament God who never changes, for he so loved the world, he gave his only son, that anyone who believes in him will not perish but we'll have everlasting life. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. 2 Peter 3, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. 1 John 4, we love Because he first loved us. John 15, I no longer call you servants. Because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. Everything I learned from my father, I've made known to you. God is love. And his work is love, and we are meant to know love, not hate, not fear, not shame. Love. We're not strangers. We're friends. We're not servants or slaves. We're his children, heirs to the kingdom. Romans 8, for those who are led by the Spirit are children of God. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption into sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. You are forgiven. You are free and you are called into God's kingdom as an heir to the king. You are his child, known and loved by him. He invited you into his kingdom. How? By the blood of Jesus. Hebrews 10. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever 
those who are being made holy. It is finished. Jesus paid for it all. Once, forever. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. We can't even live up to it. But we have to accept it. Jesus said it is done and he means it. We achieve nothing by continuing to pretend we still owe God something, that we're still unclean, unworthy, unsaved. When a close friend or a child or a family member wrongs you and they apologize and you forgive them, do you want them to keep apologizing? To keep living in broken relationship? At the very least, that gets annoying really fast. Stop apologizing to me. I said I forgive you. Let's go back to the healthy relationship that we enjoy. But if they keep doing it and keep doing it, they're showing that they don't trust you, that they don't believe you. And if they keep acting like I haven't forgiven them, that relationship gets really gross really fast. Forgiveness needs to be offered and accepted. So that healing can take place. We will continue to sin. And we need to continue to seek God's forgiveness and correction and restoration as we do. But humility is not the same as groveling. And continuing to punish ourselves for something we've been forgiven for is not the same as submission. We understand that nothing we can do can make us worthy, but we have to understand and accept that Jesus has made us worthy. Continuing to grovel and crawl on our bellies in guilt and shame devalues what Jesus has done. You don't deserve it, and we never can. But too bad. You're forgiven. Jesus' blood, his sacrifice, his life poured out for me. His perfection laid over my sin, covering it forever, has made me acceptable to God. So that when God looks at me, he doesn't see my sin, he sees his son. Therefore, Since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, 
standing before him so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. It's not arrogance or pride to live in the life and freedom that Jesus offers us. To live in wholeness and with confidence and boldness. That's what he wants for you. Abundant life. Filled with joy and peace and love, forgiven and free. And when we embrace it, we honor him. We show the true power and value of the sacrifice of Jesus living in complete humility and submission to our Father, walking with complete confidence and joy that Jesus is enough. For me and for everyone. Enjoying the fullness of of the restored relationship that God created us for. And then sharing that love, that joy, that hope with anyone we can. Jesus said it is finished and he meant it. In deeper and more profound ways than we can even begin to understand, but when we live in the reality of God's grace and forgiveness, we allow God to show us just how great his love truly is. Submit to God. Seek his grace and forgiveness and then approach him with confidence. And live with all the boldness and joy that he can fill you with. Because it's what he wants for you. And he wants others to see it. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your incredible love. We thank you for your overwhelming grace and for how deep it truly runs. And God, sometimes we think we're being extra holy when we continue to punish ourselves or continue to act like we're not good enough. But God, we're just devaluing what Jesus has done and we're devaluing ourselves. You made us in your image. You want us to reflect that. To be your image bearers. To show other people who you truly are by living in all the abundant life and wholeness and hope that you want us to enjoy. Forgive us, Father, when we try to outgrace you by continuing to punish ourselves. Let us experience forgiveness. Not arrogance or pride, but just pure joy that Jesus is enough. That he has saved us. Help us to know that and love it and reflect it. In Jesus' name, amen.